Even though the church is without a pastor, the Great Commission still applies. The mission of the church is still to move forward. And so a lot of church members are tempted to kind of slack off or, or even slack off in their attendance when they don't have a pastor. But you got to commit yourself more so than any single pastor. You got to commit yourself to the Lord. And he's still there. He's still the head of the church. And he still calls you to be faithful and to produce a lot of different fruit. From Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute, this is the Level Paths Podcast. My name is Chris Weigel, and we're glad you've taken some time to join us. When we think of unchurched people groups, we tend to assume that metropolitan or urban communities with large populations are most likely the Americans who, at the very least, don't attend church on a regular basis and certainly don't claim to be Christians. But as it turns out, Appalachia lays claim to large numbers of unchurched people. On this episode of the Level Paths podcast, Rex Howe and Dr. Matt Shamlin are having a conversation with Jason Lowe. Jason is the Associational Missions Strategist for the Pike Association in eastern Kentucky. He has eye-opening statistics that indicate there is a strikingly high number of people in Appalachia who are not involved in church. Appalachia is in the Bible Belt, but not really. Here's Rex Howe. Welcome to the Level Paths podcast. My name is Rex Howe. I'm here with my partner, Matt Shamblin. Matt, how are you? Man, I'm doing great. It's great to be back at a podcast, putting these together, and hopefully we can help those in Appalachia serve their churches in a better way. We're going to be focusing on pastors and particularly looking at some statistics about pastoring related to the church versus the unchurched and the pastoral search. And as we uh, were setting up our conversation today, I think of Jeremiah the prophet in a very difficult setting and context. He had a lonely urgency as the one who was communicating the word of God to the people of his day. He says in verse 16 of chapter 17 of his prophecy, I have not run away from being your shepherd, nor have I desired the day of sickness. You know what came out of my lips. It was before your face. And what we see from Jeremiah is a man called by God to endure his ministry and to complete it. He did not run away from it. As hard as it got, he endured through it. He carried that lonely urgency all the way to completion. Uh, and at the same time, as he ministered among God's people, he didn't desire the day of sickness. He knew that God was judging and God was righteous and holy, but he had compassion on the people that he was ministering to as lonely as he was. But he faithfully carried the word of God to them, whether it was a, an announcement of future hope or whether it was announcement of judgment. And I bring this verse up, Matt, because we're going to hear some statistics today with our guest. And we're also going to talk about pastoral searches. And hey, it's is it an easy time to be a pastor, Matt? <laughs> it is a crazy time to be a pastor. A lot of the things that you've learned over decades of serving in the ministry and even things that you learned in seminary, a lot of that's thrown out the window. What's going to be a big Sunday? What's going to happen? How are you going to handle this? How are people going to respond? That stuff has just been thrown out the window but we've got a guest today who's going to be so helpful because his responsibility is to work with churches and work with pastors. Jason Lowe is the associational mission strategist in the Pike Association here in Eastern Kentucky. 
An associational mission strategist really has a responsibility of not just being the pastor to the pastors in the association, but more than that, coordinating missions among churches. And this is so important in Appalachia, where the average church is significantly smaller than the average church in America. And so Jason serves as the executive pastor of the Great First Baptist Church of Pikeville, Kentucky. Jason is a graduate of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And Southern Seminary is either in Louisville, Kentucky, or in Louisville, Kentucky. It's entirely determined by where you are in Kentucky. Is that right, Jason? Without a doubt. (laughs) And it is Louisville for us here in, in Pike County. In Boyd County in Eastern Kentucky, I think it's Louisville. When you move closer towards Southern Seminary, it becomes Louisville. And so anyway, that's just a tad bit of Appalachian knowledge for you. But Jason often writes about the unchurched nature of Appalachia. And he does that not just through anecdotal information, but Jason has a background in statistics. And so, Jason, if you would, let's start there. Talk to us about the high rate of people who identify themselves as Christians, and yet we have a churched rate that's in comparison to New England. Really, the reason why I came back to Pike County is because of some of those numbers that I saw. I'm originally born and raised here in in Pikeville, moved away once, said I was never coming back after college and uh, came back anyway. The Lord has a sense of humor. And and I I came back and worked at the hospital as a statistician, the the local hospital here. I moved away again when I went to seminary and said the second time I'm, I'm not going back. But then I saw some numbers, I think in about 2012, that began to reveal the spiritual lostness of the entire Appalachian region, but in particular, Eastern Kentucky. And the numbers were staggering to me that in my county, in Pike County, two out of every three people in Pike County, which blew my mind, don't claim to be a Christian uh, at this point, which was just mind-numbing to me. Three out of every four people were not a member of any church, They may have kind of held to some type of Christianity, but if you read the obituaries in the local newspaper, you would hear they're of the Baptist faith or they're of the Methodist faith. What that meant is somebody in their family was a member of that church, but not necessarily them. But then the one that that really stuck out to me was 92%. This was pre-COVID, 92% of Pike County, which is as far east as you can go in Kentucky. It is the heart of central Appalachia, but 92% did not go to church on any given Sunday. And so that was about 60,000 people. And so the way I would communicate it with our churches here is that that's 11 out of every 12 people. So if you see one person who is in church there are 11 others who are not. And so we may live in the Bible Belt, or at least we think that we live in the Bible Belt, but the reality is Eastern Kentucky is a spiritual harvest just waiting to be had. And I think West Virginia and and really all of Appalachia, if you look at some of those maps, it's all very similar. Eastern Kentucky has more in common with West Virginia and Southwest Virginia than it does even Lexington or any further west in the state of Kentucky. So the numbers of lost people is staggering. When we think of that, the numbers go anywhere from the 13 states that encompass Appalachia 
from New York all the way down to South Carolina and over into Mississippi. They said that that encompasses 23 to somewhere like 30 million people. I think that in certain parts of Appalachia, we're moving closer to 23 million or less because of the economic and socioeconomic state. Now, I want you to think about that. What Jason has said is that more than 92% of the people in Pike County are unchurched, wouldn't even identify themselves to be a Christian in, in many cases. That means of those 23 million people, you can say that the vast majority of those people have no genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when that's the case, that removes us from that Bible belt where 42% are churched and that changes everything. And that's why the Appalachian Ministry Institute exists. That's why works that Jason's doing exist. That's why it's so important that we're working to plant churches in Appalachia. So Jason, maybe you could give us a snapshot then. What contributes to the low percentage of people identifying themselves to be Christian, the church rate, what contributes to that? It's a lot of factors, I think. One of them being just a connection to a family member that is a member of a church and is faithful. Maybe mama or papa is, is a faithful member of a church. And so there's this misconception of what salvation really is all about. And so they feel like because somebody in their family lineage is a Bible-believing Christian, that they're okay. And then some of the other characteristics of our culture, I think the fact that we're so spread out, especially here in Pike County, I mean, it takes me sometimes 45 to 50 minutes to drive to some of our churches from here in Pikeville. And so I think that just the fact that we're so spread out, I think plays into that as well. But there's Let's be honest, there's spiritual warfare going on in this region over North America, but especially here in this region. I just believe that there is a spiritual stronghold of addiction and people are going through so many things that they can't break free from. And so they feel like they can't go to church until they get cleaned up. And we all know that you go to church, you go to Christ, come to Christ, and he'll clean you up. But there's just that misconception that many people have, but I think especially here in the, in the mountains. When we think of Appalachia, Appalachia has the remnants of a Christianized culture. So often the language sounds Christianized. And if you talk to people, people will speak very favorably about Jesus. And it's easily deceptive to believe that that remnants of a Christianized culture that speaking favorably about Jesus means that they've genuinely repented of their sins and by faith turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know, of course, that that's not the case. We also know that in the past, there were strong churches, especially from the Methodist and then more into the coal fields, you have strong Baptist presence. But we've seen that change as the economy starts to collapse. We've seen really an exodus from many of these places in the mountains and the churches have grown weak. Jason, what is the status of the church in Appalachia? You're exactly right that there has been a mass exodus out of, of this region. Just to give you an example, in Pike County, in the 80s, during the coal boom, we had 90,000 people here in Pike County, and we're down to 55,000 roughly now. So that certainly has contributed to the decline of a lot of our churches. A lot of our churches are steeped in tradition, and there's not a lot of people moving here. They're going the other opposite direction. And so what happens is no new people come into our churches. And then those churches continue to get smaller, continue to get more tied to those traditions. 
and they just can't get out of that cycle. And so many of our churches really are struggling. On the other side of that, as you mentioned, we certainly need more churches. If I could compare the Appalachian region, the east region of Kentucky to the other parts of our state, not only is our percentage of lostness a lot higher in Appalachia, but the number of churches is a lot lower. Kentucky Baptists are are broken down into six different regions. Every other region has less counties, but has about four to 500 churches, Southern Baptist churches, and I'm only speaking to what I know, in each of those regions. However, Eastern Kentucky has more counties, 29 counties in that region, and has half the churches. And if you look at church planting efforts, they're focused on the region outside of Appalachia. The fact is, if we're going to plant new churches in Appalachia, it's going to happen because we have people who are already living in Appalachia who feel called to plant those churches and even pastor some of our other churches. And so there are some challenges for the church in Appalachia, but man, there's also a lot of opportunities. That side of that conversation really excites me. Because of economic reasons, the population in Appalachia is slowly shrinking, and it has a negative impact on church growth. When we come back, how a declining population opens up unique opportunities for churches to fill the pews and the pulpit. The Tri-State Bible College Fall 2022 semester begins on Monday, August 29th. TSBC offers a variety of modalities, including residential classes, resident modular classes with Zoom integration, and distance education online. Generous donors to Tri-State Bible College have made three new scholarships available, the Bivocational Scholarship, the Philemon Scholarship for Loan Relief, and the Koinonia Scholarship for Matching Funds. Apply today at tsbc.edu. great need for churches and the great need for pastoral preparation is exactly why Tri-State Bible College exists. It's exactly why we're doing this podcast. It's exactly why the Appalachian Ministry Institute exists. It's why we have our Appalachian Ministry Conference, because the great hope in Appalachia, when we look back in its history, there were many attempts to evangelize Appalachia, but it was when the Methodists developed pastors And then those pastors multiplied, and it was people from Appalachia reaching Appalachians. That's when the evangelism happened. And so really the strategy that many are employing in Appalachia today, it's not quick, but it's far more effective than what we've seen in the past. So you've written a book to help strengthen churches. It was born out of some of the conversation that we're having. I was serving a church in our association that was without a pastor, and I was serving them as as their interim. But during that time, we had a large percentage of our churches without pastors. We had 25% without a shepherd. And so for us, that was about eight or nine churches. A lot of these were small churches that are not going to be able to call somebody from outside of this region. And so I had developed in our association something called an interim pastor 
coaching cohort where we could equip some other guys to go into these churches, help them during this, this season of transition. As I announced that to our churches, I was finishing up this interim, and one of the gentlemen that was a member of that church, he told me, said, hey, listen, you know, that interim pastor thing is, is great, and, and I'm glad you're doing that, but I'll tell you what we need is we need a resource of what you have shared over these past nine months. Is there a book or, or something written down that can help a local church during this season without a pastor? And I said, well, there are a lot of resources out there for pastor search committees, but I'm not really aware of many resources for the actual folks in the pew. Around that time, COVID hit, and through a lot of prayer and brainstorming, the Lord led me to kind of write that book during that time. And so it's called The Church During the Search, and it's unique in that it is focused on the average church member. It's not focused on the pastor search committee, and it challenges just regular church members to make six commitments during the interim period because you and I both know that some of the most difficult seasons of ministry in a church can be when they're without a shepherd. When sheep don't have a shepherd, they tend to wander. They tend to drift. They tend to bite each other and fight. And so it can be a very challenging time for a church. And so that's what that book is all about is is encouraging churches. Hey, if you make these six commitments, you will still have issues, but you can honor the Lord while you wait for your next pastor. If you will kind of understand the process and, and make some of these commitments. So it's been out for about a year now and uh, the Lord has used it for different associations. We've got different states that have used it, but then we also have local churches that kind of walk through it and use it as a small group study. It's designed for that. And I've heard from a lot of different churches that it's it's really been a blessing to them as they kind of go through this season. That's really good, Jason. So I'm thinking in conversations that I've had with local pastors or rather local churches that have been in a search process, but and I'm again, I'm a returner to Appalachia. I was born and raised in Appalachia. I've returned to Appalachia after about 15 years away. And when I left, I wasn't really thinking strategically about church life. I was just a young youth pastor fresh out of Bible college. So I just wasn't, I wasn't mature in my, my thinking in that way. But as I'm listening now as a you know president of a Bible college, I'm not even sure that some of our churches have a process. I, and maybe you've you've encountered that. So I know you mentioned there are six steps that you maybe you could just briefly mention those. And then I've got a couple follow-up questions after that. What are those six steps? The really six commitments is is what we're asking church members to make. And the first is to be prepared. And what I mean there is to be prepared for this process maybe to take a while. Be prepared for this process to have a lot of surprises. Be prepared that there are going to be Sundays as a church member. You don't know who's going to be preaching that Sunday. And so there's a lot of different things. There's going to be seasons where you don't hear anything from the pastor search committee. And so you need to be prepared for all of those scenarios because you will encounter each and every one of those scenarios. The second commitment is to be informed. What I mean there is every church member has an opinion about what faithfulness looks like in the life of a pastor. But we need to kind of yield those expectations to what God defines as faithfulness for the pastors. And so being informed means you need to understand what are the biblical roles 
of a pastor. And so uh, in the book, I walk through some of those pastors feed the sheep, they lead the sheep, they protect the sheep, they comfort the sheep, all that straight out of, of Psalm 23 and kind of the roles of a shepherd. Then the third commitment is, is for a lot of church members is probably the most difficult and that's to be humble. That means that that you can't demand that the pastor search committee search for somebody that meets all of your wants and preferences. And that means that once the pastor gets there, he's probably going to do things a little different than what you would do them. But you've got to be humble and support the pastor search committee and the new pastor when he comes. The fourth commitment is church members need to be prayerful. They need to be praying throughout the search process. And in the book, I walk through different things they can pray for, give them specific prayer requests. They can pray for the pastor search committee. They can pray for their church that they will remain unified and will continue to bear fruit. During this season, they can pray for their pastor search committee. They can pray for their next pastor. They can pray for their next pastor's family. And so there's all kinds of different ways that they can pray throughout that process. Number five is a difficult one because it requires patience. So you got to be patient, knowing that the average pastor search takes about 12 to 18 months. In small churches in Appalachia, it can take a lot longer than that. I've got a church in my association that's approaching five years without a pastor. And so it, it does happen. I've got another church that's at three years. Those are our smaller churches that their search is going to be much more limited to the local area. And so you got to encourage church members to be patient as a result of that. But then finally, the last commitment is be productive. Even though the church is without a pastor, the Great Commission still applies. The mission of the church is still to move forward. And so a lot of church members are tempted to kind of slack off or, or even slack off in their attendance when they don't have a pastor. But you got to commit yourself more so than any single pastor. You got to commit yourself to the Lord. And he's still there. He's still the head of the church. And he still calls you to be faithful and to produce a lot of different fruit. So those are the six commitments. Be prepared, be informed, be humble, be prayerful, be patient, and be productive. I absolutely love how you frame that based on commitment, because the process at any given church is going to look a little bit different depending on the congregation, depending on their bylaws and constitution and so on and so forth. So I just love you've undergirded whatever process you have at your local church with these commitments are biblical. These commitments are significant and they're going to undergird whatever process that you're going to take. So let me follow up with this. So you mentioned misconceptions earlier about kinship misconceptions with regard to salvation and spiritual warfare or misconceptions about you know the order of salvation. Do I have to get cleaned up before I come and so forth. How do you think an Appalachian-originated pastor can best meet those needs in an Appalachian congregation? How can they help with those misconceptions because they understand the culture and the context? And, and I can think of several pastors in our association who are born and raised here. They've never moved away. And, and so they're living this every day of their ministry, every week as they're standing before their people. I think it's pretty simple, actually, is you address those things from the pulpit on a regular basis. You talk about just because so-and-so in your family was, was saved doesn't mean that you are. But the reality is, is most of the people that you need to reach are not in the church. And so that means you've got to go outside the walls of the church and you've got to be in the community. And that means for us in Appalachia, we're very event oriented. 
And so if you're going to reach people in the Belfry area, you better be at the football game on Friday night. If you're going to reach people in other parts of the of the area, you're going to have to go to some of those events and be involved in some of the schools. And so for pastors, if they're going to address some of those issues, they've got to be where the people are. They say it from the pulpit, but again, they've got to be out in the community addressing some of those as well. And just, just being honest with people and speaking the truth in love, but most of our people are received out in the community because they're from the area. And so so some of our pastors that are not from here, they face that challenge. As soon as they open their mouth, somebody says, well, you're not from around here, are you? They have an instant obstacle that they have to overcome where our local pastors who who were born and raised here, they don't have that issue. And so that gives them a leg up on some of those other guys. And usually our bivocational smaller church pastors are the local guys. And it's the larger churches that can't afford a full-time pastor that have some of those other types of challenges. I'm chuckling because I met with a new friend the other day who's from Colorado and he said Appalachian, not Appalachian. And I was like, Ooh, you've been here 10 months and you've already picked that up. That's quite well. (laughs) So let me ask one more question. I'm going to turn things over to Matt. I was having a conversation with a local pastor just the other day, and I experienced this in my own ministry in a rural setting, not Appalachian, but a rural setting. How would you speak to churches when the search is complete and you get the pastor and they're the new pastor? Oftentimes what happens in those first few months is, okay, who's the new guy? He's under examination. You might even have an influx of new people. And then after two months, that group go. So what would you say to churches once the search is complete, once they have the new pastor installed, what would you say to those churches? Two things. First of all, I would encourage the church and really as as I train pastor search committees and it's very briefly mentioned in the book, but there are five phases to a pastor search process. And people think once they've selected the pastor, it's over. But that fifth phase is the support phase. And that means that you support that pastor after he has has arrived. Uh, You support his family. You help them get acclimated to the community if they're from outside the community, and this is a new surroundings for them. You have a pastor's prayer group. A lot of times it might still be the pastor search committee who meets with them on a regular basis, either monthly or quarterly, not to evaluate the pastor in any way, but to simply say, hey, how are you doing? How are you acclimating to our culture? How's the family doing? How are they getting connected? And so just being there for support and praying for that pastor every time you're together, but but you're just there to help them get adjusted to the community. You're there to help them connect with community leaders. If you've got those connections, you take your pastor with you and you help them get connected. So that's the first side of that, that question is the support inside the church. The other side of that is to encourage church members, listen. He's your pastor. You, you follow him. You support him. Trust is going to come in time, but don't abandon him after a couple of months. Don't abandon the church after a couple of months. Just last night, we had a meeting and I had three new pastors who have all been in their churches for less than eight weeks. They're all experiencing that honeymoon surge where all these church members are coming and they're talking and, and they're so excited. These numbers are booming. It's the highest numbers they've had in the church and, and sometimes certainly since COVID has taken place. But you got to remind the church members that, listen, this is not just a come and see show. 
really being a, a Christian is about you, you come and you worship, but then you go out and you serve and you're, you're a light, you're salt out in the community. It's just reminding church members, listen, this is not about any individual pastor. You come to church to worship the one true and living God. Mm-hmm. That is your primary purpose for coming. And if you're coming for any other reason, then it sounds like you need to have a, a conversation with the Lord and confess that, repent of that, and then come and worship for the right reasons. Amen. Jason, this has been a great conversation. I wish we had more time. I love hearing about the way God's using you and helping churches throughout the pastoral search process and love hearing the statistics that let people know the difference between Bible Belt culture and what really is a distinct culture in Appalachia. What would be some closing advice that you would give or encouragement that you'd give to churches or pastors in rural America? First of all, the harvest in rural Appalachia is plentiful. Things haven't changed in 2,000 years. And in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus looked out and he saw the, the people and they were helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And he was just moved with compassion for them, which is what led to that command to pray. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly, beg the Lord to send out labors into his harvest. And so if you're serving in rural ministry, whether that's in Appalachia or anywhere else in in North America, the harvest is plentiful. There are lost people all around. So uh, because of that, your ministry matters. It doesn't matter where you serve. If you serve in a metropolitan area or you serve in a head of a holler, and I've got a lot of churches that are in a head of a holler, your ministry for the Lord matters because you are serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And because of that, don't give up. Hmm. Don't get discouraged. Continue to be faithful in what God has assigned you to do because your ministry matters. A unique situation is an open door for a unique solution. Your church may be on a search for a new pastor, or maybe church revitalization is in order, and you're simply looking for answers. Rex Howe from Tri-State Bible College and Dr. Matt Shamlin from the Appalachian Ministry Institute are standing by to help. This episode of the Level Paths podcast is a good reminder that Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute exist as a resource. And no matter what need you may have, Rex Howell and Dr. Matt Shamlin want you to reach out to them today. Rex Howell is the president of Tri-State Bible College. You can contact him by email at rex.howe at tsbc.edu. That's rex.howe at tsbc.edu. And you can reach out to Dr. Matt Shamlin at the Appalachian Ministry Institute by email. That's matt.shamlin at tsbc.edu. On the next Level Paths podcast. The King James Bible undoubtedly is ripe for flourishing in Appalachia. When you see people who have moved from Europe and they wanted to go to a rebellious land and they find themselves in Appalachia and they have in their hand what could amount to nothing short of a rebellious book, the two were perfectly married. And so we find a match made in Appalachia.
The Level Paths Podcast is an outreach of Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute. 